Welcome to the NCTM podcast. This is the first podcast of 2018-19 and we're here with three representatives from the three main exam boards in England to talk about the this summer's GCSE maths and what we've learned this year. I'm Gwen Trezida, the communications manager for the NCTM and uh, previously a secondary school teacher taking year 11s through GCSEs for many years, about 15 in the classroom. We were here a little bit later last year, talking to these three representatives about the first sitting of the the new 9-1 GCSE. Here we are a year later with a little bit more experience and I want to find out whether teachers and students have got better at understanding what the requirements of the new GCSE is. We're also going to talk about what students found particularly hard this year and whether that's any different from last year and whether we've got better at problem solving and reasoning. I've just listened to our NCTM secondary team grilling these people on a question-by-question basis to find out exactly where students fell over, where they did well, and what what the particular topic difficulties were. You can learn from that. But first of all, let me introduce our guests. On my right, I've got Andrew Taylor from AQA. Andrew, if you'd just like to tell us what you do at AQA so that we can get a bit of a picture. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, my official title is uh, Head of Curriculum Mathematics for AQA, so I lead the maths curriculum team. Uh, I've worked at AQA for 17 years now, uh, and prior to that I was uh, a maths teacher for 17 years. Thank you. Uh, next, next to Andrew, we've got Graham coming from edXL. Graham, would you would you please tell us what what you do at edXL? Yes, my role is mainly one of um, subject advisor for mathematics across uh, all the qualifications, um, and I also look after the Emporium website to provide resources for teachers. Thank you. And uh, opposite me, I've got Neil Ogden from OCR. And Neil, could you tell us what you do at OCR, please? Okay, I'm a subject advisor within the mathematics team. Uh, so been quite heavily involved in GCSE redevelopment, looking at the qualifications, um, done a bit on the A level recently. Right now, in addition to looking at all the GCSE information from this summer, I'm also uh, fairly heavily involved in the functional skills redevelopment as well. Ah, so, interesting. From redevelopment to redevelopment A whole other podcast there, I think. <laughs> so um, the first thing I'd really like to know is, um, this is the this, this second year through. I know we've had a, uh, it's actually the third series because... Um, because of the uh, the reset series in November, was that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I really want to know this year is, were students better prepared than last year? Should we start with you, Neil? Yeah, I, I think there's um, certainly some evidence to say that, yes, uh, students were better prepared. We've seen some, some questions on particular topics where last year we were seeing um, candidates struggling, some particular areas. I think we were, we were looking earlier at... Um, some of the questions on our specifications uh, were, were quadratics, completing the square, some of those topics alongside some uh, ratio areas. I think there are still issues um, sort of with some candidate responses there, but I think there is sort of evident, you know, that th- there does look to be, you know, improvements in some areas. It's a bit complicated in this particular series because this is the first time we have had um, sort of a summer assessment with sort of what we would call the full candidature. So we're seeing sort of all of the year 11 students plus the reset students as well because the last summer uh, most of the reset students would have been doing, you know, the final sitting of the legacy ah, yes. qualifications. Yeah. So we're, we are seeing quite a different um, candidature. 
okay, this so, summer as well. So how would, if you're looking at the overall statistics, how would you expect the uh, the inclusion of reset statistics to affect your overall statistics, just to give us a, a general picture? Um, well, the majority of the reset candidates are uh, coming in for the foundation tier. So particularly yeah. if you look at the sort of the proportions of sort of the whole group of students and the grades that they are getting this summer you're probably seeing many more students sort of getting you know uh, the the foundation tier grades because we're seeing an influx of um, students on on that tier okay so yeah and that possibly makes analysis a little bit more difficult um, yeah, it means you've sort of got to go into all the figures and sort of tear things apart to, in an effort to find out the story rather than just kind of take, you know, the straight proportion sort of as they are published by most of, by you know, all of the awarding bodies on the website where, you know, say how many of your students got a nine, an eight, seven, et cetera. Right. Comparing those from this summer to last summer is, yeah, complicated due for that reason. Yeah, okay. when we get to next summer, hopefully you'll you see you know, a bit more consistency. But um, okay. at the moment, yeah, there's a, you've got to look a bit deeper. Right. So if you've seen the grade four figures go up on the board's websites, that's what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's going to be sort of differences and fluctuations around that different group of students that's sitting the exam this summer. Right, OK. Graham, would you say that your students were better prepared this summer? I think there is some evidence that they have been better prepared, yes, and I think that's through seeing a couple of examinations through... There are different styles of questions. Um, I think specifically, I say I've looked at foundation, there's a bit of um, um, equation solving that's been better, standard form questions been answered better, and uh, you know, I hope um, over time, because it's quite recent since the exams, but I hope over time to find a few more examples of those. Uh, students and perhaps teachers always seem to be better prepared if they've seen a style of question in a in a past paper um, when it's something that's unusual um that it's that it's still difficult and i think we've seen that in the problem solving um is that it there's still perhaps an issue where a question is unusual it's it's more about the the resilience of the student and their attempt to um, try and get something from the question than than feeling familiar about something they've done in in the past so there's still i think some problem solving questions where we could see some improvement, um, but they are difficult to anticipate. So would you say that the message from that perhaps is that with the new qualification, doing endless past papers is less valuable than with the old qualification? Do you think teachers need to be finding unusual scenarios, unusual questions for students, rather than just saying, if you've done all the past papers, you won't see a question you haven't seen before? Yeah, I don't think that, that the past papers carries you through everything. Um, There's a lot about um, questions where there are different topics covered. So there might be algebra and geometry. Um, And that really does test the understanding. It tests how you are going to apply certain topics um, within a in a different way or in an unfamiliar situation, and I think that's the heart of the reforms for the GCSE was to to encourage students to be able to do that. Um, so if teachers can work through that sort of question, it's you know, 
they, I understand teachers will say, where do we find these sorts of questions? Mm. Um, and some, some we may have to make up and some with the examples we'll provide. Right. Um, but it's, it's really getting a, a secure enough understanding that you can apply topics in, in different ways. And I think we'll talk about some examples of those later on. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking this morning about some questions where you'd had to do the inverse of what you would perhaps have done hundreds of in class. Yes, I think we had a question where in the past we might have said draw the line for 3x plus 2. This time around we had the line 3x plus 2 and you had to find the equation of it and students did find that quite difficult trying to do it the other way around. And I think the message here is if they really understand the topic through and through then their their understanding is more malleable, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Andrew, moving on, could you say for AQA whether your students were better prepared this year, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, thinking back to, to what Neil was saying about the difficulty of of, of seeing performance because of the uh, large p- proportion of post-16 students, particularly in the foundation tier. So it's perhaps easier to do a like-for-like comparison with the higher tier. Right. And certainly... Uh, in, in in things like you know the, the mean performance and performance across the different assessment objectives at all levels of demand, uh, I think I would say it's clear that those high tier students are performing better uh, than last year, and that's reflected particularly at the upper end in uh, in the grade boundaries, which, as we expected in the second year of specification, are somewhat higher than they were last year. So we've seen grade nine uh, going above the two hundred out of two hundred and forty. Mark, so that's around 83% for grade nine. And what was it last year? uh, Now now you're asking, it was 189 out of 240. So so I'll leave leave the (laughs) listeners to work that one out as a percentage. So it got by four or five percent, I guess. So so that's clearly indicating uh, better performance overall, particularly in our case, because we saw, uh, and we'll probably talk about this more later, a move... Uh, in proportions from the foundation tier to the higher tier. Right. So you would think those more extra students coming in to the higher tier would weaken the tier overall, and yet we seem generally better performance uh, at, at some questions and, and in terms of the summary statistics. So I think at the higher tier, yes, at the foundation tier, until, as Neil said, we can unpick the, the 16-year-old and post-16 students apart at question level, mm. then then it's, it's difficult to be sure. My my intuition says that once we do that, we'll see better performance uh, at the foundation tier for 16-year-olds as well. Right. And so did the grade boundaries go up at every grade? Or uh, are you talking particularly for rows, about they, they were particularly grades 6 to 9 in right. the higher tier. Uh, a little bit at grades 4 and 5, uh, in the higher tier, and and I think foundation tier grade five went up by about five marks, and mm. the others were either one mark or the same. Okay. So it's very much staggered uh, across the ability range. Yeah. Graham, can you say what happened to the grade boundaries for? Um, no, very similar. Um, certainly at the, at the higher tier, um, and went up by about twelve, I think. So that, again, the nine was over the two hundred. Maybe not so much at the uh, at the four and five. So there's a bit of a gradient. If you like, at foundation tier as well, they they went up um, a fair bit on uh, on grade four and five, um, but I'm myself not unhappy about that because I think that's shown a, a much better performance on the papers, and I think we're seeing more of what students can do. Um, so I'm happy to to see that we're getting papers where um, the students' knowledge and skills is reflected. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, I know this this morning you were talking about dead questions where almost no students can answer them and the pointlessness of that, weren't you? There were one or two last year. I probably wouldn't say pointlessness, but I'd say uh, slight redundancy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we we had those this year. I think that even at the the top end of the higher, there were some marks that uh, that students could generally get. The seven, eight, and nine okay. grade students were still able to make a start on them. Yeah. So it sounds like the the message from this is that teachers are getting better at understanding what the top level students need to be able to do. Yes. Um, and and perhaps the the exam boards are better at setting questions for them. Sure. Is that, is that true for you as well at OCR, Neil? Um, yeah, fa- fairly similar story in terms of grade boundaries. Yeah, right. yeah, uh, yeah. Co- couple of uh, fluctuations within that, but sort of yeah, generally um, moving up, sort of in alongside what we would expect with the second series of an assessment. Yes. Yeah. Okay. When the grade boundaries get better, as they have done this year, get higher. Uh, how do we know that teachers and students are getting better at preparing for exams, and that it's not just that you guys have written easier exam questions? It's not always easy to make that judgment about the balance. So we will we will get a sense from looking at scripts and performance right. about whether whether students are getting better. We get a, a strong sense from the examiners themselves uh, about their their views about whether the paper is easier or harder than last year. Basically we go back to uh, the the statistics and and the expectations. And if those expectations are met with uh, a higher boundary and if every other indicator suggests that the papers are, and and it's a very difficult thing to do, but broadly, broadly of the same demand, uh, and if if that's what we set out to do, then we we can begin to suggest that, that, that students are getting better. But of course, that is quite judgmental. It's a bit subjective and therefore... In the future, ultimately, it will uh, it will be about Ofqual and their national reference test, which is intended to be a kind of barometer of the mathematical ability of the nation uh, that will be able to make very robust year-on-year comparisons about uh, uh, the quality of students' mathematics. And that's and that, something we're working on now, isn't that's it? That's something that that that, that has, has has been being run for two years, oh, okay. uh, but the information from that hasn't yet been used uh, in informing our awarding. Right. I, th- I believe, though uh, I'm not certain about this, the expectation is that it, it will be used certainly by 2020. So I imagine there may be some form of, of live piloting next year. That's guesswork on my part. So. Okay. Right. Can we, um, can we talk now about difficult topics? What are the cho- topics that, that students find challenging? I know last year you mentioned... Um, you mentioned algebra and you mentioned ratio and proportion. Are, are we still seeing the same things? Are those still the things that students are tripping up on? Neil, would you like to start? Yeah, um, I think it's fair to say that w- when you sort of look at the different content areas um, across the um, GCSE content, if you look at how candidates are performing in terms of you know the, the raw marks that they're picking up in the, in the questions, um, algebra... And the ratio, proportion, rates of change topic, um, they do seem to be the ones that students seem to be struggling at more. There is sort of a balance as well because there are a number of questions on the new specifications where different content areas are being brought together as well. And I do think that ratio and algebra are two areas that do commonly get sort of um, 
bundled in with with other questions, other topics, and brought in with there as well. So there there is a bit of a balance coming through. But certainly, when you look at the, you know how students are performing in the content areas, they are areas that students are struggling at, and that was the case um, in the two assessment series that we saw last summer as well. Right. Um, that they seem to be you know um, areas that students are struggling with, sort of consistently, or at least uh, over the last sort of one year, essentially of the assessments that we've had okay and um and the expectation of uh, understanding of ratio and proportionality and multiplicative reasoning um has has uh, it's a larger part of the curriculum now isn't it but i think there's also um it it's important to make clear that we're not just talking about the the topic ratio that involves simplifying a ratio and dividing in a given ratio but we're we're talking about something that underlies a lot more topics aren't we yeah yeah i mean if you open up the dfe content document for the ratio proportion rates of change area there's uh, 16 17 8 there's quite a few statements in there and, and it, yeah. it is quite a lot beyond you know ratio yeah um yeah i mean there's you know things like units in there compound units coming in as well and yeah there's there's, there's quite a bit in there so you know that is sort of to be you know, definitely paid attention to. And yeah. the, the fact that for this new assessment, there is indeed its own section within the content document as well. I think that kind of like really puts the finger on, you know, how much it's sort of come up, you know, within this new assessment. Because previously, ratio or, no, you know, proportion, they're all just within the number right, section. Yeah. You know, really yeah. now they have got their own section, you know. Okay. Do you want to add something? Yeah, Andrew? and I'd go further than that. Outside that section, proportional reasoning is key to understanding of trigonometry. It's key to algebra. Uh, it's key to a lot of number work, similarity, best value problems, anything to do with rates, speed, time, yeah. pressure. Uh, so it absolutely pervades the whole of, of mathematics yeah. at, at this level. Uh, and, you know, the, the student who really understands and can work deeply with multiplicative reasoning, and I said it right for once, uh, will be successful at GCSE. And you say at this level, but actually these these uh, bases are laid down in Key Stage 3 and in Absolutely. primary school, aren't they? So, you know, this understanding of multiplicative relationships, uh, I think core to a lot of the GCSE content yeah. is, is what we're seeing. Graham, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I'd say algebra and ratio and always algebra... Um, and there are still complaints from A-level teachers that students are not coming through with strong enough algebra. Um, and it has been beefed up in the new GCSE, and there is more emphasis on it. And some of the questions are, are more challenging, I think. Um, so that's the, the challenge to rise to, I think, is to, is to get students to that level of, uh, of skill with the algebra. But at the other end, things I've seen, um, and whether it's just slips or, or conceptual understanding, is particularly around fractions, whether that's numerical or algebraic, um, but particularly numerical adding or dividing or multiplying fractions. Uh, and percentages sometimes. Uh, there seems to be not not the the strong understanding of percentages that we would hope. And they, that does turn up in quite a lot right. of questions. So that's, that's something I think we've seen this summer. And um, in terms of the types of questions i think last year you were talking about show that questions and you were talking about problem solving and reasoning mm. are those still causing problems or are students getting better at those andrew do you want to go first yeah so what jumped out at me when i when i was looking at, at questions that uh that didn't perform well for their place in the paper so not necessarily the the, the hardest questions but questions that unexpected in terms of the performance 
absolutely echo what Graham said about fractions. Uh, can I quote that question? Yeah, go for it. So the first question on our first paper, uh, foundation tier, was work out a half times five. Uh, and only 39% of the foundation candidates uh, got that one right. And similarly, there are other questions around fractions, converting fractions to decimals, that, that unexpectedly uh, proved to be unexpectedly difficult for students. Uh, and also, at the higher tier, the difficult algebra performed as expected, and, and the strongest candidates are, are, are clearly good at that. But some some of the lower demand algebra questions surprised us at, at, at uh, how poorly they performed. There was one about simplifying an expression, and a lot of students got the order of operations wrong right. in that, which uh, was was surprising at, at the higher tier. But at, at the upper end of the height, I think it was it was those those meaty reasoning questions that that, as we would expect, proved to be the most challenging right. ones. Do you at all try to start with a really gentle question? When I looked at the papers earlier on, I I was a bit shocked by some of the question ones. I was a bit like, oh, that would have upset me if I'd opened the question paper and found that, and that's not that was not what I'd want in an exam. Is there any attempt to do that? Was that a mistake? There is. I mean, we always start with four multiple choice questions and, and one of the one of the reasons behind that is whether students get them right or wrong at least we hope they're going to answer so they won't be okay. not attempting any of the early questions but particularly for the foundation tier those those first four questions whilst they might not be the easiest in the paper we hope are settling students in to the first double page and i'm sure that's true of the other guys as well is that true for you Graham? it is true yeah, yeah it's a very yeah. deliberate attempt to settle students right. in i would hope that the first couple of questions virtually all students should be able to answer. well all students never turns out that way but uh, <laughs> i would like it that all students can answer the first yeah. few questions and we have deliberately tried to in in say about the first six marks or so six questions or so made that something that we think all students should be able to uh, to make an attempt at. Yeah, and is that true for OCR? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. De definitely yeah. always starting with, you know, what what we believe to be the most simple questions, but there are certainly always things that catch you out. I yeah. think uh, question one on one of the foundation tier papers this summer was uh, a, a question about um, order of symmetry in a regular octagon, and um, I think many of the examiners felt that that would, that would be, a, you know, a decent question one, but when we actually looked at how students were coming out of the assessments on that, we sort of saw that uh, unfortunately one out of ten foundation tier students weren't doing anything at all with that question. They were just wow. giving a blank answer space and less than 50%, just under 50% of the, the students picked up the mark for that, just about or you know symmetry on a regular octagon which yeah. you know we would hope that students would be performing a bit better than that but you know this particular question on this particular paper doesn't seem to indicate that yeah uh, would you say that was a general thing about geometry um sort of questions it, do you does, do you feel like they might have been neglected a bit this year in, in favor of trying to fit in more proportionality and that sort of thing or is that not coming through yeah. Yes, general to say. yes and no. In in terms of the sort of the the weighting that geometry has on this new specification, it is smaller than it was on the legacy specification. So you would expect to sort of see a bit of a reduction in terms of you know schemes of work time and things like that. Um, students are still you know struggling in some areas of the content, um, particularly around you know similar shapes and things like that. Uh, then we get on you know trigonometry, but. Your students seem to be performing quite well in those areas. It, right. it, it's not one of those that are leaping out at me as sort of saying, you know, that this is really an area that students should be spending more time on. It's, it seems that, you know... Did you want to yeah, I think 
one of the things to say about the geometry and shape and space area is is whilst it gets a low proportion of the marks than previously, if you look at the specifications, there's a lot of stuff there. So right. it's it's perhaps going to be always less sampled in an exam than than other content areas. And I think some some parts of that big body of content perhaps perhaps there's evidence that they're not getting the attention. Uh, things that perhaps have been covered in key station and are not revisited. Mm, so uh, enlargement questions, right. sort of particularly the higher tier, sort of uh, sort of negative and fractional scale factors. Uh, bearings. Don't do as well. Bearings, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Interior and exterior angles and working around those right. properties of shapes. Uh, some of those stuck out. In fact, I think our worst performing question across any of the papers on the higher tier was about the properties of a rhombus. Really, and it was it was a tricky question. The, the, the students had to. It was only one mark, and they had to actually make judgments about four properties about whether they were true or false to okay. get the mark. So it, it was a bit of an ask for the mark. But even given that, the fact that only four point something percent got that mark was quite striking. Right, it was the the deepest dip in the, in the performance. Okay. Graph. I'll throw vectors into that as well. You, we by had a, all means. We had you, a straightforward, <laughs> I thought a straightforward vector question on the higher tier that wasn't particularly well answered. Right. I know vectors is often tested as a sort of vector proof and can be the, some of the most difficult questions. But this time it was, a, I think, a much more straightforward question. But whether students just hadn't covered it, I don't know. Okay. And, and I wonder if that's a theme emerging because in relation to algebra and no vectors, Graham and I have said similar things in that what we believed were lower demand questions on some of these topics weren't performing to expectations. And perhaps high tier students are expecting and, and, and being led to expect the, you know, the seriously difficult stuff towards the end, but not performing quite as well on, on, on some of the what we believed were going to be lower demand things right. and clearly proved to be quite high difficulty. Okay, um, I don't think I, I think I got sidetracked from asking uh, you, you about problem solving <laughs> and uh, types of question, didn't I? So, Graham, do you want to talk to us about that from edX? Yeah, I, I think the reasoning questions always comes up and I think it has continued this year in, in anything that's um, give a reason for your answer or, t or a lot of follow-on questions that are often one mark but they're about interpret how this question would have been different if some of the parameters had been changed. Mm. We had Juan on his bicycle, which was an estimate about how long it took to cross America, but how would your answer change if the original parameters were changed? A trigonometric one where how would your answer be different if you changed the length of the hypotenuse? And students do find those difficult to deal with, to, to be able to approach and give a descriptive answer. I know... A lot of students think there should only be numbers on a maths paper and I'm written down, but um, but part of the reasoning and the interpretation is to follow up what you have done show and show how the maths you have done um, applies or, or, or tell you what it means. And those okay. are still difficult areas, I think. Yeah. And what about you, Neil? Have you got anything to add to that or was it much the same um, students. Yeah, 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 or similar stories. I, I, I think making, you know, um, evaluating assumptions is a very new area of this new specification. I okay. don't really think that we, we saw many questions on sort of that area. Um, looking in terms of sort of reasoning and problem solving, I've done the same sort of number crunching and analysis of the different assessment objective types. So the different types of reasoning, different types of problem solving that we are required as awarding bodies to set questions on. I've done the same analysis this summer as I did last summer and right. last November as well. 
And there's a bit of a you know consistent story coming through that within reasoning in each of the three sets of assessment that we've had so far, last summer, November, this summer, um, within reasoning, it's the show that questions that right. um, you know continually seem to be giving students m- more of a headache. Within problem solving, um, for both foundation and higher tier, it seems to be the questions where students are required to translate problems um, into a series of processes. And then for foundation tier only, um, those questions where students are required to bring together different areas of the content, which is kind of what I was alluding to earlier in these questions about maybe bring a bit of uh, algebra and number together or, you know, things like that to actually solve yeah. a problem and things like that. Higher tiers seem to be getting on quite well with those. And that that is one of the really quite distinct things that's coming out bet- from between the two tiers. A lot, a lot of these things we're sort of able to tell quite similar stories for both foundation and higher tier students, you know, having different struggle, um, similar struggles, obviously with different bits of content, you know, similar threads. But this one does seem to be, you know, jumping out at me as being consistently over the last few assessment series, something that foundation and higher tier students are um, reacting to quite differently. Right. Um, there's a couple more areas I want to ask you about. So uh, we must, but we must keep it brief now. We're running out of time. I'd like to ask you about social media and how much um, you look at social media and how much that might influence what what you do next year. And, you know, do you get anything useful from reading the tweets that people tweet after they've sat the exam? Or uh, And is it different from students and teachers? Does anybody want to... Come in on that, Andrew. It's, it's certainly you. different from students and teachers, uh, and I'd be appalled if uh, if teachers behave like some students do on social media. Uh, as far as student tweets go af- immediately after exams, then it's just the very public letting off steam that used to happen as, as kids come out of the hall, and I think we take much of that with a pinch of salt. It's sometimes amusing, sometimes gives pause for thought. If a surprising question gets focus... Uh, right. We might might look at that and think about that, but I'm more focused on on what teachers are saying about about the examination and whether that's about particular questions or the general sense uh, of of how their students felt about it or that how they felt about the papers. Right, uh, that's what I'm looking for on on mm. on social media, and certainly. If there were a theme, either good or bad, arise from a number of teachers, if, if, a, if a thread was pointed to one thing, then I, I would perhaps not, not take that as all the evidence I need, but I would go away and seek more evidence to find out, is there anything in that that we want to look at? So it's, it's becoming part of the whole body of qualitative evidence that, that, that we bring to bear at this time of year when we start reviewing and continuously right. improving what we do. Thank you. What about you, Neil? Um, yeah, yeah, we we you know keep a close watch over social media, right. yeah, at all times, and that there are definite you know big spikes in terms of uh, yeah the activity that's going on around um, the days that we have the assessment. Um, yeah, it's it's a mixed story. A lot of it, as Andrew says, is just kind of like students just kind of like um, letting off steam as they come out of the exam room. But yeah, there's there's definite you know things that we can look in and say, okay, well, is that something that we want to pay attention to? I think uh, one of the things that students were most commenting on after this summer was um, some of the names that we'd chosen to give to some of the characters within <laughs> within the assessments. I mean, we'll have a character doing something or whatever, and, you know, we 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 don't want to call everyone, you know, 
John or James or Sarah, or, you know, we're, we're keen to, you know, work in a wide variety of names. But there, there were a few names in the papers this year that students really kind of remarked upon. And you know, that seemed to be, you know, the big focus of a lot of attention. <laughs> so so I think that there's definite kind of like things to think about and seeing, you know, if, if students do see a really unusual name and they're spending time afterwards talking about it on social media, how much time in the exam room did they sort of stop and think and, yeah. you know, question, question themselves mm-hmm. about that? So do we want to kind of like maybe compile a list of names that, you know, students will then be familiar with from, you know, one year to the next? And so there's definite things, you know, that we're, we're looking out for. And it's always kind of like a thing that we have to sort of pay attention to how much fo- further forward we can look in terms of things like that because, you know, the question papers for next summer kind of should be fairly near set now. So oh, really? anything that okay. we're learning from this summer, it's kind of a race to kind of like... F- if we can address those this summer if it has to happen later on in the process and things like that judging um, how sort of important or crucial anything that we're learning is and how much it's kind of when it gets fed into the process of things like that Graham are you on on Twitter all the time? Oh definitely yeah Um, I did learn one or two things actually and it's mainly about student misconceptions I think that were useful that come in straight after there was one question we had which was a essentially a scale drawing of a tennis court and students had to work out the, the perimeter and a number commented that this question didn't give them any information um, because it didn't give them I think they were thinking it would be a scale diagram that they had to work up rather than to actually measure with a ruler and uh, quite interesting how that fell out that a number felt they hadn't got it the other thing is around context which students do tend to remember um, and want to make comment on um, <laughs> And how it affects their, their approach to questions. So we did have one that you ended up having to work out a house price in 2003. And it came out to about 180000 And that's not an unreasonable house price in some parts of the country in 2003. But to 2018 students living in London, they yeah. just thought they'd got the wrong answer because who can buy a house for that price? Fair in, enough. In London? Fair enough yeah. So you have to maybe think about if there's anything in your answers or your questions that students feel they know more about. And we're always telling them to check their answer makes sense, aren't That's we? That's right. So, so we, yes. it was. I thought that was useful to look back and say, let's not put them off mm. with any answer that seems unrealistic, even if it is reasonable. We have to remember what age they were in 2003, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Not much of an age. Okay. Uh, okay, last question. Just a quick one. Looking at your question papers, and I know you've done a lot of looking at them, uh, I'd like I'd like to know from each of you, really, have you got a question that you think that one was a great question? Not necessarily in terms of the maths, but perhaps in terms of how well it told you what the students could do, and is there a question that you'd just kick into the long grass as fast as you possibly could? Do you want to start, Neil? Yeah, sure. Um, one that kind of, like, performed pleasingly. Yeah. Um, we, we had... Um, a proof question. It was an algebraic proof. The students were given a, an equation and they had to show that um, it was turned out to be a multiple of six, I think, or some, something along that lines. Uh, proof was one of the areas of the content that we'd sort of... It's somewhat new in terms of the new specification, the emphasis given to it. And I think last summer we'd seen that students had a bit of trouble with it. Right. Um, this question this summer, it broke across sort of the the grades really well right kind of like because you know it 
if everyone got full marks on a question or if everyone got zero marks out of a question, that's telling you nothing about the student cohort. But this one kind okay. of like separated things out really nicely and evenly. So I think that's a question that performed really well, really okay. well. Um, so while teachers out there are thinking about how their students perform, these guys here are thinking about how questions perform, which is perhaps not something that teachers think about every day. And, and I think what Neil's trying to tell us is that a question performs well if it if it spreads the students out nicely from those that can do it to those that can't with a whole variety in between. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you give me a, one that you hated? <laughs> one that was <laughs> well, a disaster? Well, I, I wouldn't want to say uh, one that I, I hated. Uh, we... There was one particular question. It was about vectors, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, there was a question about um, we had a triangle and there was kind of like vectors to sort of um, go around the sides of the triangle. And it yeah. essentially asked students, um, you know, if we start off in one corner and go right the way around the triangle, what would be, you know, the sum of the vector for doing all of that? And, um, yeah, yeah, students didn't really... Um, do too well. It's just a sort of a short little one mark question, but it was again, it was one of those explain type questions. You know, maybe not do. You know, I, th I think the question explicitly said, um, you know, do not do a calculation for this. Right. But you know, but so it's just kind of like maybe <laughs> maybe putting a few words down, but maybe in vectors and maybe kind of applying the knowledge a bit. I think okay. it was maybe a, a little bit too much, but it was just a, yeah, it was a little one mark question that yeah, students um, few few students picked up that mark right okay so so you probably had to see the question really to understand that answer but we'll put the questions that we've that we have been mentioned in this podcast on the uh, podcast page on the website so you can go and have a look and see see what they're talking about graham have you got a a good and a bad question um yes i like a question that's short packs a lot in um the one I particularly like was the perimeter of a right-angled triangle is 72 centimetres. The lengths of its sides are in the ratio 3, 4, 5. Find the area of the triangle. I think you could toughen that question just by taking the right-angled out because you should be able to work out its right angle. But it's got the ratio in. It's got some geometry. It's got some Pythagoras in there. Right. Maybe not Pythagoras, but um, you've got to choose which sides of the triangle you're going to use yeah. to, to work out the area. And that, that performed quite well. Um, okay. So I think there was a fair bit there in a, in a short question. Okay. Um, the one, and it performed uh, well, that question as it well, did, did it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a higher tier one. And if you've um, got a, a, one, that, one that bombed. Corrupting your question a bit is a, is a question <laughs> I like but didn't perform very well was right. um, a one about coordinates, which was four squares going from right to left, and there's a slight overlap. Yeah. Um, and you had to find C, which was a... a a middle coordinate. Um, it didn't perform very well. A foundation, I think, around 60% got zero out of five, whether they attempted it or not. Okay. In the end, at higher tier, uh, about 23% got all five marks. But it's a nice problem solving. Um, but I think a lot of students didn't know how to approach it. I think a lot of students assumed the middle coordinate was actually just a midpoint and they drew a line that Actually, if you draw it, it doesn't quite work, but you could draw a slightly curvy line um, to get there and, and try and solve it that way. So I think right. there was a lot of misunderstanding about how to do it and, and maybe the first steps to take. And I think that's the crux of these problem-solving questions is that students should be able to take a first step and be confident to take a first step and see if that gives them more information towards a second step yeah. and to answer these questions. But I think a problem we're seeing with, with the problem-solving is that students don't know where to start yeah, and yeah. they will just turn the page and, and lose many marks that way. 
Okay, so maybe something to be learned for teachers there, yes, but certainly. also perhaps something to be learned by the exam boards in terms of how to make a question something that you can get into. Andrew, do you want to? A question that 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 I liked because it did perform well and it was on a new topic and what can be a challenging topic was uh, a question we had on working out the area under a graph, uh, which can be a very challenging topic, but yeah. we managed to write a nice, accessible question, still towards the end of the high tier, right. uh, that performed well. A question that, again, I quite liked as a question, but it, it, it was an example uh, of what Graham was talking about, of a problem-solving question where the students who could get into it could get full marks, and they tended right. to be the high-performing students, but... Uh, not enough students could get into it. They couldn't yeah. get started on it. And that was one uh, combining, uh, it was with a Venn diagram and, and, and students studying physics or chemistry. And, right. and, 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 and the key was recognising, and it involved fractions as well, again, fractions, mm. uh, was, was recognising the significance of, I think, students who do physics but don't do chemistry right. and getting that fraction and then working from there. And if they work from there, great, they went on to get four marks, but far far too many about three quarters of the kids just just didn't yeah didn't get anywhere so okay. so that was one of those where i sort of yeah it's a shame that it just didn't discriminate in the way that yeah. uh, neil was describing earlier right well thank you very much um it's been really useful meeting with you all uh, let me remind you who we've got here we've got neil ogden from ocr andrew taylor from aqa and graham coming from edxl um, if you found this podcast interesting, please do subscribe to our podcasts. Um, they come out every so often, every month or so. Um, and also it would be really useful for us if you could rate us on your app um, and that will help other teachers find us more easily as well. Also, do visit our website. We've got lots and lots of support and information for teachers of maths of all phases on the website. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>